Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Canter Podcast. I am joined today by Dr. Teddy Wilsey. He is a doctor of physical therapy, primarily focusing on sports rehab and performance. He is also a former powerlifter, and he uses his Instagram page, Strength Coach Therapy, to highlight science and evidence research based approaches to not only training, but rehab, and I would also say prehab, ways to to prevent injury also. So definitely. Uh, Teddy, Teddy, thanks for joining the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Glad to oh, be no, here. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. Um, I've been a big fan of your Instagram page for a long time. My, our mutual friend um, from, oh man, I can't remember exactly where she trains, but uh, Darian Pika uh, right, introdu- right. introduced me to your page and uh, I've been kind of hooked ever since. So I've implemented some of your strategies, especially for shoulders on some of my clients who, you know, could definitely use that. But, um, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. Cause I know I left out a lot and how maybe you got <laughs> to, got to the point you are now. All right. Um, let's see. So I, I always wanted to be a physical therapist and went towards the physical therapy profession starting in undergrad. Um, yeah, I went to university of Pittsburgh and graduated in 2009. Um, but I had an awesome experience in strength conditioning at Pitt with uh, Buddy Morris, who's a strength coach. He's now with the Arizona Cardinals. And so I interned with him for four months. And then I said, oh, man, this strength conditioning stuff is pretty cool. This, this might be what I want to do. And so uh, I decided to not apply to physical therapy school and go towards the strength conditioning route. So I did uh, high school strength conditioning. I was a personal trainer. I did some of those days where you drive around to a bunch of different gyms and a, a client's house or two. And, you know, and yep. I was just kind of yep. grind, grind, uh, grinding, learning a lot online, reading guys like Eric Cressy and Brett Contreras and contrib- trying to contribute to some blogs and stuff like that. And, and so I did that for about four years. And then I said, man, I'm, I think I'm ready for the next step here. And I had everything ready to go to apply to PT school. And so that's what I did. And, um, now I've been a physical therapist for about two and a half years. So I went into physical therapy school with this strength and conditioning background. And I felt like I was able to take a lot from it because I had kind of a context of, you know, how to apply the biomechanics, how to apply the rehabilitation principles. And that's something that I think a lot of physical therapy, uh, students and programs in general from the academia side fall short in. And I mean, we, yeah. Eric, we talked about this before. You know, and, yep. and we see the same thing as strength and conditioning where kids come out with these exercise science degrees, but they don't know how to be a strength and conditioning coach or they right. don't know how to be a personal trainer and just do basic stuff like teach people how to squat and deadlift. And you see the same thing in physical therapy school. So my goal and what I've been trying to do is kind of help physical therapists and everybody else really to see the connection between the two disciplines and put rehab and training uh, into like one big package. So that's, that's really what I do. 
And I work with a lot of injured athletes and I work with athletes that maybe they had an ACL tear and surgery six, six or eight months ago. And they, they need this kind of rehab strength and conditioning hybrid. And that's, that's kind of the space that I really specialize in. Well, I think you hit it right on the head when you said uh, what you said about the exercise science field, because I'm starting to get like a little different perspective on that because I, I don't think when you and I originally spoke, I, I started this already, but I I'm teaching at Cincinnati state and it's a that's personal awesome. train. It's a personal training class. So it's like, they're getting they're getting both both of the best worlds because they're getting to learn how to develop a develop um a business but at the same time they're learning how to apply the actual principles you know and like you said like nobody nobody gets to do that when they're when they're in exercise science or something else we're kind of forced down that clinical side of things because that's what everybody's used to yeah and then if you're if you're lucky enough you you get to branch out a little bit on your own yeah, and so much of the exercise science, like my, my undergraduate, you know, education, we were, and it was an ACSM certified program, so right. you know, American College of Sports Medicine, and we learned, we learned about BMI, you know, how right. silly is BMI, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you can squat your body weight, BMI doesn't apply to you because you have too much muscle to mass, you yeah. know, and so it's, right. um, we learned about all these things that are very, very general and quite frankly, very antiquated to be learning in, in the early 2000s. Yeah. And it's, it hasn't changed that much from, from the students that I speak to now and the younger people that I, I interact with in the field. It, it hasn't changed that much, unfortunately. And so, you know, we're out here trying to spread good information. And that's, that's my goal, to help the younger me, to help other, uh, you know, trainers and therapists and people that are just trying to kind of put it all together. You know, I think in the ACSM is actually who accredits this program as well. And they're working towards an ACSM certification. But like, don't you think that the reason why BMI and all those like other kind of small bio, not biomarkers, but small markers and, and everything that you're, that you get learned, that you get taught and you learn inside of uh, academia, it's all kind of a, they keep it very safe. For everybody, right. which which I, I do respect that. Like that's the one thing that I do. Like I understand that at least that you know you have to take a very uh, soft approach, like a mild approach to everything because you you can't tell. Now I do agree BMI should be thrown out of the window or at least addressed <laughs> and say, hey, this is why it is not really applied to. Just put an asterisk people. on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. It's like Barry Bonds' ball. Just put an asterisk by it. Right, right. But but yeah, but so so there's some things that are definitely applicable. There's some things that are definitely not, and it's unfortunate that we're tossed out and we're like, we're, I feel like a lot of the students that I see and a couple that I have an intern internships with um, here at uh, mission five, where I train out of, they're so dead set on seeing something done by the book. I'm like, man, everything that you're learning in the book is great for a second when you're in the classroom. And as soon as you step onto the gym floor, all that shit goes out the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not, you don't have the ideal, ideal candidate, but so tell us a little bit more about how you came to do uh, strength coach therapy on Instagram. Cause I think that's a, uh, that's a huge learning point and learning structure that everybody can benefit from. Yeah. So, um, like I had mentioned earlier, I've always been into reading, uh, you know, blogs and articles online and, and guys like Dean Somerset and Eric Cressy and Brett Contreras and some of these, some of these older guys that have been contributing to team nation and websites like that for, for, you know, over a decade now. And so I, I saw myself eventually contributing and trying to be part of the noise out there. 
there's a lot of noise in the fitness world and a lot of people, um, you know, they learn online because like we've talked about academia doesn't cover everything, unfortunately. And so I think the online world is very big for the strength and conditioning and training profession in general. And so I wanted to be a part of it and just contribute. And, um, you know, I actually never really used Instagram for anything work related until I started the strength coach therapy. Uh, you know, my account before was just like pictures of me doing outdoorsy stuff with my, with my friends and my wife and, you know, the occasional party, that sort of thing, the weddings. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden I just said, oh, I'm going to start another account. I'm seeing all these fitness and exercise accounts pop up on Instagram all of a sudden. And, uh, that's, that's really where it came from. And so, you know, it started as just, you got like with anything, you need to be consistent with it in order to gain a followership. So, so I was like, you know what, my goal is to film everything from the gym so that it's not this kind of hodgepodge looking and, you know, filming from my living room, that sort of thing. Just, just give off the professional, the guys of being, the guys of being a professional, even if I'm not always, (laughs) and, uh, you know, film, film, film everything from, right. Film everything from the gym, make myself look legit as possible. It's social media. Let's be serious. You got it. You know, the appearance, appearance is a big part of it. And then just provide people with provide people with kind of information and, and the way that I see things and don't. And I was like, I'm not going to try to necessarily just be like, Hey, this is a quick workout for today. This is, you're never going to see the word fat burning on my page. You know, it's nothing like that. It's more about the theory and the application of why do we choose these exercises? What's good for shoulder instability? You know, how does that change if somebody's mobile versus stiff? And, and, and so that's the, the goal was, and I got feedback from friends at first, you know, friends that are not in the industry and they were saying, man, this stuff, I can't read this stuff. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I was like, (laughs) or, or they were like, you're talking too much, which is normal, but that's, you know, and so I was like, what, there's going to be people out there that would want to read that. And so just kind of stuck with it and then it blew up and apparently now some, you know, there's some people that think I have something to say. And so I'm looking to create content in some other ways as well. Uh, well, you definitely, you, know, you, you definitely do. I mean, that's, there's no doubt about it. Like the, the stuff that's on here, I think a lot of times when people start and look, I'm no social media genius. Like I, I am, I'm still working on building a following and things like that. But when I, when I get onto people's uh, sites, like, like yours and they do get like that, even if they try to break down the science, it can still get like a little wordy and a little, little heady. And sometimes if you're, if you're just getting into uh, strength and conditioning or exercise science and you're like, Holy cow, how do I really apply anything that just person just said, but how you have it laid out is like in, in bits and segments of here's what's being worked. Here's the importance of it. And here's how bang, bang, bang. And, uh, and I think that's, and I think we're starting to see a trend where people are starting to do that more, but uh, tell, tell me a little bit more about how you have it laid out because it's all broken into segments, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's the beauty of Instagram is that, you know, Twitter's not enough. Twitter's 140 characters and it's, uh, I don't have a ton to say on Twitter in terms of one liners. It's, it's, it sometimes it feels like a little bit of an echo chamber. Um, yeah. and so, and so, you know, then YouTube is a totally different animal where people are putting 10, 20 minute videos on there. And, and I, I work, you know, with, 30, 35 patients a week sometimes. And so I don't have, unfortunately the internet and the YouTube and all that stuff is not my main career focus. Uh, so Instagram is a nice in between. So I was like, and so I was like, you know, I can just kind of show an exercise here or there or show, 
three exercises that I use with one of my clients or patients uh, who has a history of shoulder dislocation or show what I did during the day with a patient who sprained her MCL three weeks ago and she's getting ready to get back on the field, uh, you know, a high school D1 level soccer player. And those are the kind of athletes that I work with a lot of times, CrossFitters, high school athletes, college age athletes. And so I think for a lot of people, it's interesting to see that uh, in the physical therapy world, we would use the word intervention or treatment. You know, it's interesting for them yep. to see that that treatment or intervention because it doesn't go on every day in your typical PT clinic. It's honestly more looks like it looks more like strength and conditioning, but it's with the the theory and the application of what that injury was. How do we target that injury, uh, which is something that's a little more of the rehab side. So you know, um, and then with my layout on Instagram it's i i saw some other people doing this and i was like man this is kind of a revelation if you just label everything on your page when somebody scrolls through your page and they see you know you're scrolling through somebody's instagram page you see the squares but you don't know what you're going to click on it's just a it's just an image and so if you make the cover photos of every one of your videos say what is going to be on the video that's immensely helpful for people that are going through things and it kind of paralleled Instagram at the same time, allowing people to save videos and then save them into folders. So I have a lot of people that I would imagine use my stuff by saving it and then going back and looking at it later. Yep. I'm one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I, 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 save, I save your stuff all the time. So that's, well, that's, that's very useful. Let's stick with something that you said about um, the prehab re, rehab side of things because I think – and maybe you can speak more to this, but the prehab, I think that term is starting to become a little more popular, especially in um, the physical rehab side of things. And I don't know mm -hmm. if there was like something that it was coined before, but how do, you, how do you address those kind of things with athletes that maybe aren't injured, but you might see something on the horizon? Or maybe you see something like if you're dealing with a soccer player and you're like, well, here's what I know from you know, seeing other soccer players in your certain situation. Here's how we can cut things off. Is there a, a certain tactic you take with that? Yeah. So one thing that I do in our uh, facility at Healthy Baller is I work with, I will evaluate some of our um, more, I don't want to say higher level, but some of our like higher paying clients, that sort of thing. Like we get some professional athletes through the doors and with them, I will evaluate and assess them even if they don't have an injury and just give an idea of what things I think they could work on. So it's almost um, inspired by the same idea behind like an FMS, for example, you know, and so I might look at hip mobility, shoulder mobility, uh, thoracic spine mobility, ankle mobility, and, and strength in all of these planes and, and, you know, have them move laterally and just kind of assess where their weaknesses are. Um, I try to stay away from the word injury prevention because, you know, the reality is these are athletes, they're, they're moving at high forces, creating high forces, moving at high speeds. And can we really pre prevent or can we reduce the likelihood? And, wow. you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm selling something that I can't guarantee if I say injury prevention. That's just the reality of it. And so what I try to do with them is help them to, uh, and work with our coaches and put together a corrective program for them. So during that, and that's where that's part of what I talk about on my Instagram page. I'm like, this is rehab, this is prehab, this is warm up, this is corrective exercise, whatever term or semantics you want to use. Either way, it's stuff that you can benefit from doing. <laughs> that's the most important thing. And so, you know, with that, uh, let's say an athlete comes to the door for their training, 
they'll spend the first 10 or 15 minutes warming up, going through movement prep, et cetera. If somebody has a hip mobility restriction on one side, they might spend a few extra minutes on that. Whereas somebody yeah. else might not, whereas somebody else, you know, might be a hypermobile uh, female swimmer. I mean, who doesn't need any hip mobility whatsoever. And instead she needs extra time at the end on hip strengthening. And so that's where we start to individualize, <clears throat> excuse me, that's where we start to individualize programs. And that's where the prehab thing comes in. But really prehab is just a way to target our training so that we can, you know, help to reduce the likelihood of injury and optimize it for each individual athlete or person. And that makes total sense. The, I think uh, maybe not so much for the people that I deal with, but when you're dealing with a young athlete, is it hard for them to grasp like the warm up piece of things? Do you find that you have to kind of uh, create a little more of a buy in with them, explain the importance of a warm up, like how movement patterns triggers like their CNS and how it kind of gets things firing a little bit? Because I don't, when people think of warm up, they think about hopping on an elliptical. Okay, I've warmed right. up, but we know now that that really doesn't do much of anything in terms of. Um, actual activity, right? So um, what does that look like to you in terms of, of going through like that warm-up phase? Well, so the funny thing is we actually don't use the word warm-up as much in our gym because, and it, this isn't even really purposeful, it's, it's kind of just happened, but, you know, the training starts with, a, it, the training has different phases, and so we call it movement prep, we call, you know, we might call the first few minutes warm-up, but that's about it, whereas really in our training and how we program it out and look at it ourselves. And by we, I mean, our, as coaches, we might consider more of it to warm a warm up. Um, but either way that, that kind of covers that athlete buy-in aspect because we tell them, you know, this isn't warm up your start. This is the start of training. This is the first uh, thing yeah. you're doing. And then okay. another key with it too is, you know, we talk about buy-in. Yeah. You want to talk, you want to talk and communicate and justify everything you're doing in training. And so that's the same, same principle for everybody, no matter who you're working with, no matter whether you're a therapist, a trainer, working with an athlete, a geriatric patient, uh, you need to be able to justify everything you're doing. And part of, part of the justification is, you know, it's a business. And so you need to communicate that with your clients and patients so that they appreciate it and they want to come back. And it also helps, right. them. I mean, it helps, them, it helps them to know what they're working on and helps them to know what their weaknesses are. Uh, and then lastly, one thing that I think is really important that people will miss out on in this opportunity or this phase of training is you need to make it challenging. Um, even if it's just coaching them on a stretch so that they can feel it a little bit better, or it's correcting their miniband hip work so that they're not, you know, leaning from side to side or compensating with their torso, anything like that to make these small finer movements challenging and help them to quote unquote feel those movements Mm -hmm. is going to uh it's going to really assist with buy-in and so that's staying engaged and staying on top of them you know yeah coaching cues is so important i think especially for this you may not have this so much as a, a strength and conditioning coach because cueing is probably oh i don't i don't i can't even give you a stat but like i don't know 70 percent. it's a lot right i mean you're, you're oh, yeah. constantly you're on your athletes there's more of them but as a trainer myself i consider myself to be fairly um fairly good at, at, at cueing. I'm pretty on top of movements, having the kinesiology background and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. But I see it a lot where it's, you know, a lot of some, some trainers get into this mode of I'll show the exercise, ah, they'll do it. And that's it. Whereas, right. whereas like, well, you know, if you have somebody do like 15 repetitions of something, I'd rather see six good reps and have somebody stop and then get recoached and then see the rest of them finish out rather than have yeah, yeah. 
six decent reps and the rest of it's just garbage. You're like, ah, well, they'll catch on. But I see that a lot on my side of things. And I think that's another thing to cycle back to um, what we talked about at the very beginning about the, the curriculum-based approach to, to um, exercise science. You know, those things aren't taught. You're not taught those coaching cues. You know, right. that should be like it's an so entire true. segment in, in, in uh, exercise science about coaching people. Yeah, and even, you know, the whole idea, so you are taught, one thing you're taught in undergraduate and graduate work for exercise and physiology is kind of the way people learn, you know, and they'll teach you that very basic, like, um, cut, like levels of learning where you can then recall something that, you know, first it's like um, unconscious competent and then, or conscious competent and then unconscious competent, meaning by how much conscious thought you have to put into a movement to be competent at it. You, yeah. you follow you follow with that at all and so so they teach those levels of learning but they don't teach about how the cueing can play into that and so you know one thing i always think about and i, I work with some of our younger coaches on this i'm like cueing is great but don't over cue because yeah. you need to create you need to allow them to feel the movement and learn it themselves so so yes. exactly what you said let them do five or six reps stop them coach them for a second and then let them finish out but you know don't inundate them with cues in the middle of the exercise when they're trying to think about it and feel it out themselves too. So right. the, there's, there's all that interplay and that kind of that art of cueing and helping people to get better at movement. Some people need a lot of cues or they're almost dependent and they'll look at you and say, you know, it's right. okay. <laughs> right. And, and maybe with those people over time, we decide that we want to help them be more independent. So we tell them we're not going to cue you as much, you know, <laughs> I want you to, sometimes I'll ask people, how do you think that was? Yeah, you know, kind of, kind of that mind twisting game a little bit, <laughs> and so, yeah, and and they'll say, well, I think maybe I did this, and I'm like, that's awesome that you knew that. Uh, you know, not every rep's going to be perfect. That's fine, but you're creating, you're gaining that feeling of your own form, and that's, I mean, that's really what we are as physical movement educators. So that's a great result. Yeah, 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 because you're de you're developing that that physical that physical aspect as well as the mental aspect, and they they're understanding yeah. their own body, which is great. Another thing that I found useful is um, just sticking with the um, uh, push-up, for instance. You know, if I have somebody uh -huh. doing like an incline push-up uh, for, for a beginner, you know, I have a very high bar set up and we're going through the motion. And what I see a lot of is, it, you know, at the top of the motion, they're, you know, they tend to like uh, protract a little bit and, they're, and they overextend, their hips come back out. What I do is, and of course, you know, as a coach, disclaimer, you got to be, you know, making sure that you're okay your clients are okay with you touching them, but I'll just yeah. place like my hand on their back and my hand, like maybe at the side of their hip, you know, and I'll just say, keep this down, keep this flat. And over time, the words disappear. But all you have to do is just place like a knuckle on the middle of their back or a yep. knuckle on their hip. And they just, they self-correct. And then over time, it's like, you see that. And then they self-correct without your, they notice, you know, I, and I think as a coach, as, as a trainer, as a physical therapist, like that is probably one of the coolest things to see is you're actually teaching somebody, well, you know, what, what they need to be taught. Like you're almost hands off. They still need you, but, right, right. but, uh, but yeah, you're actually teaching them something along the way, which is really exciting. I think. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head and the manual, the manual and tactile cueing is great. And yep. that's something that I almost take, uh, take for granted as a physical therapist because you're right, you do have to um, kind of tread a little bit more lightly as a coach, or sometimes you can't if you, if you have multiple people at once and they're across the gym floor. 
Um, but the, the whole idea behind what a manual or tactile cue is, it's an external cue. You're having somebody think about the world outside of them and how their body relates to it. So yeah. that's much easier. If, if you tell somebody to sit back on a box, that's much easier than if I tell you, flex your hips while you're bending your knees, but keep your, <laughs> but keep your, but keep your torso, keep your torso centered over your ankles. And then don't let your, your knees you know, drop then, in. Right. We did, it was an awesome exercise we did in class in physical therapy school where we had to sound out or we had to uh, spell out exactly how you would tell somebody to jump without using the word jump. And we had to, oh, and we, wow. it, was an it was an exercise to think about an internal versus an external cue. And we don't often appreciate how difficult it is for people who don't understand anatomy in their bodies to, to, to really conceptualize an internal cue. So for example, if we tell somebody, keep a neutral spine for us that's like the language that we speak but for our patients for our clients they don't know what the heck a neutral spine is and then yeah. they're like is that is that flat and then if and then if you want to kind of impose your anatomy on them and you tell them oh no it's not flat there's actually two curves in the low back and the and the neck and then the, the thoracic spine curves the opposite way then they're totally confused and so right, it's, yeah. the ex, it's the external cue it's the external cue of just telling them don't push your back up into, into my hand or keep it lower. Like that's cueing is one of those things where simplicity is, is the genius or that's, you know, that's where the genius lies is in those simple yeah. ideas. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head, man. It's the external cues is so important. Well, you even said it earlier. It's kind of that art and I know I don't want to get like too foo-foo with it, but like you, you bring in some of your own art, your, some of your own flair with the science, right? As yeah. long as you keep the science intact, and you can get that across to the person like that's that's kind of the um, I don't know I've had the conversation with other coaches and and, and uh, athletes even and and trainers about you know how much of it is the art of training versus the science of training and I think for, for me personally it's over fifty percent the art of training yes because the communication like, all that stuff yeah the the whole nine yards I feel like you know it's it's easy for I feel like it's it just comes with experience I guess but it's easy for me to describe to people what they're doing and when they need to do it but but to continuously do that from person to person you know one after the other when everybody is so different i think that's when the uh, the art really starts to take place because then you really start to you almost get into that here i go being like super cheesy and foo-foo but like you almost get into like a flow <laughs> like a flow state you know where everything just starts firing and you just kind of dig into it <laughs> my I, wife my wife loves the term flow state. She's an artist. And, uh, Perfect. Yeah, she knows. <laughs> yeah, she, and we talk about flow state all the time because when I'm creating content or writing, it's the same idea. And I, I really enjoy getting into that state. And, yeah, I, I hear don't you, it's the yeah. same thing when you're working. Yeah, don't you have that where it feels like every – like if, for me, every workout that I, that I go through with somebody, I just feel like it's uninter uninterrupted, like everything's perfect, the cueing's on, like, you know – they're at the right amount of fatigue and it's just like all of a sudden four hours go by you know you see eight clients you're like holy cow that was like the best eight appointments i've ever gone through well, and it's, erica i need i need your job man because I, <laughs> I, I don't know if i achieve that i don't know if i achieve that with everybody but that's definitely the goal it's well, that's not the goal. look 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 you know if, if i if i go through let's say an average of 12 to 15 appointments a day i might have i might have two like that right yeah yeah but but throughout the course of the week, if I get two that are like 100% just flawless in my in my eyes, because in because in the in the in the the person that you're working with in the client's eyes, 
you know, if they're huffing and puffing and you've done your job and queuing and keeping them safe, that's a successful workout. Okay. But, yeah. but for me, if I go through and I nail everything that I want to accomplish uninterrupted, um, no, no, no pain, no anything that to me, man, I'm like, I get so fired up and then yeah. I try to like execute that every single time. But in the course of like, you know, 12 to 15 appointments a day. No, of course it doesn't happen every single time. That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> I'd be a, I'd be a billionaire, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I get so fired up about that kind of stuff. I love that. I love the feeling, especially when you know that, occasionally you get that athlete or the uh the client that recognizes like holy cow this like went to a whole other level yeah so yeah whew, anyway that's, I got kinda that's like yeah no you did I, i'm feeding off it right now but you know that's the kind of that's the kind of thing where it's you change the training program once somebody gets acclimated to these new movements yeah they're still challenging for them that's kind of the sweet spot of a training you know, of a training program in general, that second or third week of, of the new movements. I, that's, I mean, I, I love that for myself too. And oh, yeah. training myself. And I mean, that's at the end of the day, I, I'm a big practice what you preach type of person in, mm -hmm. in this field. And, you know, um, a lot of my videos are of me demonstrating things. And a lot of the stuff that I, I teach and I talk about are things that I've pretty much experimented on myself to figure out, Oh, this, this is why this feels different. I'm using this muscle differently. And it's just, yep. um, you know, I think that's really helpful for cueing too, to know, to know what it Big feels time. like yourself. Yeah. 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 Do you, so I wasn't really going to go here, but you kind of took it down this path. Do you, do you have your, you know, maybe other coaches or PTs or do you guys uh, train each other? Uh, so we do something very similar. We on Thursdays at lunchtime. So 12 to one, uh, we, we go through staff training. And not everybody's there every week, but we like as many people to be there as possible. And we will start with different warm-ups or different, and we'll basically go through a work. It's, it usually starts with a workout and it ends with a conversation like we're having right now, which is just completely non-directed and totally theoretical and awesome, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so, and so we get into talking about theory and what we do differently with different people. And, uh, but it starts with movement and, some days, some weeks we'll have a stricter agenda where we'll say, uh, let's, let's have three people work up in a squat and let's coach them as a team or, you know, and so different things like that. And, um, yeah, I think that the coaching each other and moving with each other and feeling out new stuff is, is great. And, you know, we have a big mix of trainers. Our, our gym is, is pretty much in, uh, operation from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. And so we have a lot of people that work in our gym at different hours. And uh, some people work all with adults and all kind of geriatric patients or geriatric clients. Other people work with, uh, you know, we had the number five NBA draft pick training in our gym last summer. And so we have a, a huge range. And so it helps everybody to, to teach each other our skills. You know, uh, we have Definitely. one guy that, we have one guy that's a really, really good power lifter and he trains a lot of lifters. And so, you know, he's the guy that we talk to about squats and deadlifts. You know, we have somebody else that uh, has kind of created this niche of working with a lot of swimmers and tennis players who, who knows where that came from. But, you know, and so we talked to him about mobility and shoulder stuff. So it's, yeah, we all bounce off each other. And that's, I think that's part of a gym environment or culture that can be very healthy and productive. I think so too. I think one thing that uh, new coaches and trainers in particular get into a rut or, or a habit of, of trying to, to, to be like the biggest flashiest person you could possibly be. 
And I don't necessarily see it in like small studios or anything, but uh, maybe in, in much larger uh, big box gyms, for instance, uh -huh. you know, like, like Lobo gyms. Because right, you're right. kind of in a fishbowl, so you think you have to stand out a little bit more. And uh, you get into that mindset of, well, this is the only way to do things. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not taking advice from anybody. And maybe there are very correct ways to do certain exercises that everybody should follow. But, you know, learning something from somebody else, taking that in. If we can't share knowledge, I've said this before. If we don't share the stuff that we're, te that we're teaching to other people, like our clients, if we don't share that with other professionals, then what's the point of learning in general? You know, why don't we stick with the same 12 exercises that, you know, everybody can go through and, and just be done with it? Because, I mean, if, if, if we're going to learn all this information and we're going to take it to the grave with us, there's no point to anything that we're doing. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense. So being open and sharing, because like I, I'll look around the gym and watch uh, another trainer working with a client. I'm like, oh, you know what? I totally forgot about that exercise. I haven't used it in a long time. I'm going to implement yeah. that in my next workout. And just being, totally. being open, being open to those things and asking another trainer or uh, another coach, Hey, how come you did that during this part of the workout instead of this? Here's why I do it here instead. And just getting a different perspective and, and broadening your sphere of, um, of exercise and, and philosophy. I think that's super important. And I think, I think with what you're doing, uh, with strength coach therapy, and it sounds like, you know, the, the rest of the people you're working with, I think you're doing an awesome job and, and I appreciate you coming on the show and, and dropping uh, some knowledge on us. Uh, of course, man. It's all about paying it back. And I mean, like you said, yep. you're, you're learning. You're learning from each other. You're all kind of in this together, and everybody has their own context. And if you, you put it all, all put your heads together, uh, you can create a pretty cool product. I think so too. That's, yeah, Teddy. If, if people have, sorry, if people have more questions, comments, concerns, where's the best place yeah. to get a hold of you? Uh, so I would say go to my Instagram. It's strength, strength coach therapy, all one word. And, uh, you know, that's where I'm the most responsive and the quickest to get back to people. I, I'm rolling over, making an effort to roll more things over to Facebook and Twitter. And, um, my Facebook and Twitter are also strength coach therapy. Um, you know, but, but Instagram's the number one place that I really try to respond to people. So okay. I would say check me out there. Awesome. No, I hope people I'm, do. I'm re, I was just going to say, I'm relaunching my website too. I had a blog going for a while and I just kind of let it go and uh, relaunching that with some new content. So that's teddywilsey.com. That should be up next week as well. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. I was searching you know, late, for, uh, for a website. Late. Yeah. 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 So that should be up uh, by the first week of August or I'm sorry, October. October. Oh, I was going to say, book. <laughs> <laughs> take your time. Will you? All right. Cool. Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, again, Teddy, I, I appreciate Eric, taking the time. And, um, absolutely, sir. We'll talk to you very soon. Yeah, good talk. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform, at Eric Feigl, or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor. <laughs>